few weeks ago, I was called out by the police department to go make a notification, and I had met the team that deals with our um, fatalities uh, accident team uh, to make two notifications. And as I was leaving the one house and I was driving uh, down, uh, it was, um, I think it was Emporia, uh, I had my lieutenant was behind me and he threw on his emergency lights and I stopped and he pulled up alongside of me and he said, uh, uh, Pastor, do you have your uh, lights on? <laughs> and I had forgotten that I didn't have my own personal car, which has automatic lights on it. And the car that we have as a chaplain car doesn't have automatic lights. You have to actually turn a switch for the lights to go on. And so I did. And it was so interesting that what Peter is talking about today it very much fits into this because one of the things that he's going to talk to us today about is about our salvation, but that our growth in our salvation is not automatic. When we are saved, we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's by his free grace that we're saved. There's nothing we can do to get ourselves saved. All we contribute to our salvation is our sin and our running away from him until he draws us to him and we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts. But after that, and we start this sanctification process, Peter wants everyone to know that our growth is dependent on God's promises as we had last week. Last week, God gave us uh, through Peter the promises that we have and also told us that we have a divine power that takes those promises and works in our hearts and makes us come alive to the things of God and causes us to grow. Now, if you remember, first Peter that we weren't spent several weeks upon was because there was persecution. But now Peter writes this second book of Peter, not so much because of the persecution, which has almost come to an end, but now he's talking about false teachers that have come in and tried to change the church and people were not growing. And what Peter wants these people to do, and plus with us in the church, is to grow. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and grow effectuously for his glory. And so Peter begins to write, and he writes this epistle, and he says to us that the key is that these things that he promised to us, the being Christ in you every day, and how you act and how you live, and that we press on to that mark of heaven, of being what, to coming to Christ. But in the meantime, as we go along, God is working in us and we are working alongside of God to appropriate these things and that we're moving forward in our faith and that we're pressing on and that he gives us as he gave us in this chapter already. He says, it's your faith that will grow the virtue which is the moral character, the moral excellence, the fortitude to stand up and say no. It's the knowledge. It'll give you self-control, steadfastness, patience, godliness, brotherly affection and love toward one another. He said these things should be exuding from you as you become more and more productive in your life. But it's you. 
coming to God and using His power and allowing Him to use His power to make this happen in your life. And that some of the stuff will overlap. But it's to come out of you. And it doesn't come natural. Unless you appropriate the power of God in your life. And you apply them. And so look at what Peter says. He says it's got to be increasing in you. For these qualities are yours. Are increasing. They render you neither useless or unfruitful in true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted and have forgotten his purification from his sins. Now what we see here is that God is working in you. And he wants you, as his child now, you're born again, you want to desire. You know, when we come to know Christ, we don't sit back now, well, I'm saved now, that's the right, the rest of the world. No, the Bible says here that you become like, like it was for me. When I went to college to play football, I didn't go to sit on the bench. I worked hard every summer. I lifted with my friends. I did everything I could not to be sitting on the bench during the game, but to be one of the 11 guys out on the field fighting and doing the battle. And what Peter is saying here is that you and I should be in the battle. And that we should be wanting to be there. And that that desire comes increasingly. The more and more we learn about God. The more and more we increase in God. That our godliness becomes passionate. And it increases more and more. And we want to show forth the glory of God. And that it shows itself in being fruitful. And that we're not addicted to the false things of this life. One of the tragedies we have right now in our world. We have a society and we have the church. Is buying into this progressive Christianity. That is so false. And yet is having churches are falling into its grasp. Not holding on to the foundational truths. But saying we know better than what the Bible has to say. And it's a false gospel. And Paul Peter is saying don't let that happen. The foundational qualities are there. And you and your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church need to desire to be those who want to grow and be glorifiers in Christ. You know, how many children sometimes mess up their lives because they don't have any goals for their life? Some of them sit at 20 years old and, and, and they say, well, I just want to waste my life. They don't say that, but that's what they're doing with their life. And they get themselves in all kinds of jams. They sit at home. They lay around. They, they get involved with drugs. And they're selfish. And, and, and they run up bills. I've seen this time and time again in our generation. Because we're so affluent. And it's a scary thing to watch. And they need to be tutored. To be useful for Christ. How many people in your past meant something to you because they pushed you, encouraged you, stood behind you, 
You know, we hear about Charles Spurgeon, who was a great preacher in the Baptist church. But Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher. You know why? Because there was a John Spurgeon. You know who John Spurgeon was? John Spurgeon was his dad, and he was a preacher. And he was behind Charles Spurgeon, encouraging him, strengthening him. Sunday school teachers were encouraging him. People that were in the church encouraged him to walk in the ways of the Lord. I can think of the people in my own past that were pushing me and encouraging me. You can too. Of the people who really blessed us to become the persons that we are today. And those people were godly people. People who really wanted to see God in your life and to grow. I, I, honestly, I think there's a couple of Sunday school teachers in heaven right now that are holding their hearts. Can't believe that I'm a preacher here today. Because they really encouraged me. And they put up with a lot when I was a Sunday school student on Sunday morning. But because of their encouragement, because of them behind me. And you see, this is what Peter's talking about. That that encouragement and that, that, that we increase in those things that we've been taught and affirmed in. And be fruitful in them. And that we find ourselves giving ourselves more to those things rather than life. I mean, how many things do we give ourselves to? that are really unworthy things. Things that really are unnecessary. Things that we don't really need. See, it's very easy to become, as Peter says, to have the spiritual... of those things that... <laughs> I'm going to turn this off, folks. There you go. How easy it is for us not to have and become blind and short-sighted and forget what this is all about and get so caught up in all the other stuff of life. Peter is saying, if you're growing in godliness, you're not short-sighted of how well you've been purified from your sins and how Christ has saved you, how he's made your life in a new way. And giving you a hope that is beyond what the world has to offer. And that you're not being conned or hoodwinked by the false theologies or the false ideologies of our culture today. It is so easy to get adrift and to struggle that. And Paul, Peter here says, do not but increase those qualities so that you're not rendered useless or fruitless, but rather by the true knowledge of Christ, you become more and more like him. And the people around you see that. He says, not only to be increasing, but be diligent. Therefore, brethren, be more diligent to make certain things about your calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way... The entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I've had people who come to me and say, I'm not sure if I'm really saved. Even though they've been going to church all their life, they accepted Jesus Christ in their life. And I had a guy say this to me the other day. He said, I'm really not sure if I'm saved. 
He said, how can I know for certain that God has chosen me? How can I know for certain that those words I said, I really meant them? Peter says, you want to be secure in your walk with Jesus Christ. You want to make secure your calling and your election, he says. Then do these things. Be diligent to produce these things out of your life and show forth the work of God in your life. And it will make you more effective and that you will see that it's not the things of religion. It's not taking the pen out and having a whole bunch of check boxes of these seven things that he just talked to us about and say, I did this, I did this today, I did this. No, he's saying that the more closer you get to Christ, the more you come to know him in a very intimate way, these things are not going to be, have to be checkmarked, but they will come from within you naturally because you're practicing them. And as the more and more you live like Christ, you will not stumble. This is not one of the, you know, some of us have heard that phrase, and there was even a book written about, let go and let God. Peter is saying, when it comes to salvation, yes, you let go and let God save you. But now, you just don't kick back and say, let go and let God. You begin to build inside of you these things through the power of the Holy Spirit that changes you radically and that people see the genuineness of your face, faith and that these lavish provisions that he's made for you as the scriptures say, you show yourself to be a true, genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, be diligent at it. This keeps you from stumbling and falling into sin. That you really work at growing in him and knowing him. That's where the assurance comes. That you don't even hardly think about it. Because you're at such peace with him. And you begin to want to do the things that he wants you to do. Not only do you want to do what his word says. Not only do you see yourself wanting to live with that integrity, that kindness, that love for people that are hard to deal with, but that you have this genuine love for them and you see how broken they are inside that they don't even, they can't even enjoy this life. And that's when you understand that you're gaining the assurance that you have because eternity has taken over your heart in Christ. That when you commit a wrong, you're not afraid to repent and admit you've done wrong. That your faith grows deeper. That you don't find yourself getting rattled and getting yourself all in sorts because somebody foolishly has tried to push your button or to hurt you, or to make you something that you're not because you've been changed by the indwelling of God in your heart as you continue to practice these things and that you grow in godliness, that you grow and that you're different inside. 
I can tell you when I was in high school, and it was different when I was in high school, I can remember being offered pot. I could remember being offered drugs or alcohol. And that I felt this overwhelming sense. And I, you see, I came to know Christ. Even though I'd been in church all my life, I came to know Christ when I was 16 years old through the death of a young girl. And when I began to read the Word, and I began to try to ask God to move in my heart to make them come alive, those things of the world, the drugs, the alcohol, those things began not to be important to me anymore. I can remember being offered a joint and saying, no, I don't do that because I have Jesus in my heart. And I thought the Jewish kid was going to burn the side. He was going to drop that J, that bone right there because he was just shocked. But you see, when, when you do that, the love of Christ just comes rolling out. And, and we find ourselves not accepting the false, but we're willing to stand for the truth. We're not to grab onto the weird to, to make ourselves look good, but rather to grab onto what Christ wants for our life, that godliness. And that we find ourselves not getting caught up in the drift of the world. See, there are a lot of Christians who give themselves to Christ, but then they kind of kick back and they're not doing this diligence. And they wonder why all of a sudden they find themselves in trouble or getting themselves into trouble. I remember I went fishing once with a fellow in high school and we were in a rowboat and it was kind of a nice cool but it was, the sun was beating down we had our poles in the water and nothing was really biting I don't even know if we had hooks on the poles and we laid down inside this big old we had this big rowboat and all of a sudden I heard a clunk and I heard water running and here, we were right near the edge of a falls. <laughs> and we had just drifted to this falls. And thank the Lord, we hit the rock. We would have probably tumbled 20 feet into the water. And who knows, hit a rock or whatever. And, and it's like that in life. It's so easy in our society today to just drift along and find ourselves all of a sudden shocked that we're being tempted and we're ready to go over the edge because we've kind of drifted in our faith and not given ourselves to what Christ has called us to here and being diligent to do the things of righteousness and doing the things of hope of Christ in our hearts. And we lose sight of that. And here, Peter is saying, you've got to be diligent. Keep on adding to this faith of yours. Getting to know Christ more and adding to know what he wants to you so that you can do the things that are important to him. 
and that you truly trust him. This world is on your attack for you and for me. It's coming at us full blast. Paul says the same thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, examine yourselves. Take time out and look at your life. Look at what Christ wants from your life. Look at what you're doing and ask yourself, am I truly know the Lord? What am I going to... See, Paul had all these Corinthians who were living wild and prolific life. And there's a lot of things in their sinful past that they haven't gotten rid of. And he questioned them and said, you've got to question yourself whether you're truly saved because you're still going back to those things for the pleasures and the joys. And you're, you're, you're doing all those things that are wrong. And he says, Peter says, you guys have been through the war. But look, Look what's happening in the church. Look what's happening in your spiritual life. You can't not be diligent and be aware that Satan is working in your world, trying to pull you down, pull you away from this abundant supply of godliness that you can have what Christ has provided for you as you practice these things, and instead you're falling behind. You're letting yourself drift into things that are not pleasing in God's sight. And what he's saying here is live your life in such a way that even in the ordinary everyday life experience, you are calling an election that you are seen as God's child, and that you truly are his and his forever, and that you're blessed. And there are times, I, this past week, you know, I, I had a birthday turn up. <laughs> and you know how birthdays are. And I was sitting in the park meditating. I was asking myself these questions because this text really comes out and asks us, you know, where are you at in your faith? What are you doing? And I began to ask myself these questions. And ask the Lord. You know, how productive have I been? How faithful have I been to you? What do I need to do, Lord? That your kingdom will be so blessed. What can I do, Lord? How do I need, are there areas in my life that need to change? Is there people in my life that need to challenge me. See, that's so important that we come here and that we talk to one another because we encourage each other to live more diligently for the Lord. Hebrews says, exhort one another every day as long as you are called today that none of you harden yourself by the deceitfulness of sin because sin can do that to us. It can wrap us up even when we're alone. It can make us angry. It can make us think of things that are not true that we put on people. We have to be watchful and faithful to God. And notice what he says. 
He says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though you are already know them, you have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in an earthly dwelling, to stir you up by the way of reminder. Peter here realizes that his time is short on earth. Peter's probably about 70 years old. And he knows that he's going to die. The Lord has told him that. That he's going to wind up being martyred. And in the meantime, he wants to leave a legacy. Now we know the legacy that he's left is these two marvelous books in Scripture, First and Second Peter. But he's also left us the Gospel of Mark, that Mark really wrote Peter's situations and what Peter went through. And what we find here, notice what Peter says, I remind you. The Bible is full of reminders. Why? Because part of our faultiness is we have bad memories. Sometimes Sandy and I were watching TV and the advertisement for Prevagen will go on and we kind of laugh and we think maybe we should get a box or a case because we forget all the time. And I know that's part of the aging process, but um, it's interesting how we all look on life and how sometimes our memories don't serve us well. I was reading uh, and, and how much we go through life and we forget. I was reading Gordon MacDonald who, who wrote a, a wonderful piece about the things you go through in life. And you know, and I kind of chuckled because as I was reading this, I was rehashing it in my mind. He says, when you're in your 20s, you're thinking about, you know, what unique thing can I do? And then when you're in your 30s, he says, you start thinking about your marriage and your mortgages and you start wondering about um, how things are done as a family and you find yourself wondering why it's not as fun as it looked like it was and because it's a time intensive of, of the relationship of family is very time intensive and it's a lot of work. And then when you're in your 40s, you start comparing between your peers and how they're doing and what the cash that they made and, and, and who... Uh, uh, you know, how they're doing in their marriages. And then in your 50s, you're starting to feel obsolete and things are wearing out on your body. And all of a sudden, you're starting to really feel your yourself. And then in your 60s, you're starting to look at your peers and say, boy, they look older than me. <laughs> and then in your 70s, you wind up saying, okay, what's left and how am I going to die? And what's next for me, you know? And it's very true. And he says... The wise thing to do is what Solomon said is remember the days of your youth, but then also consider your death. And ask yourself, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? Peter says it's to remind you. The Old Testament is full of remember, remember, remember. Because we need to remember, and it's easy to lose track of why we're here. That's what's the problem with the church today, because they're refusing to remember what history has done and theology has done, and they're throwing it away and not holding to the foundational truths of the Word of God. And Peter wants us to remember. 
I was reading statistics about membering in that one of the reasons why preachers need to continue to rehearse the truths of the past, because people only hear 25% of what you say, and they remember that. Some of it's less. And that we need to remind, remind, remind of the truth. And Peter says that. And he says, notice what he says. He's to stir up and by way of reminder to remember. Because you know our world. It wants to pull us away from the memory of the truth and take us into, away from God and ourselves. And, 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 and our, uh, of God and, and just be with ourselves. You think of all the philosophies that are coming down the road. It's all about man being the center. And it's, it's sad. Look at the magazines. Remember when Life magazine came on? It was big pictures of people. Now we have People magazine, and it's all about those who have and how they're living their wonderful lives and who's divorced and who's getting together and all this. And then after that, there's been Me magazine and then there's even Self magazine. And what's it all about? It's all about being me and taking care of me. I haven't seen a magazine on others yet, have you? But that's a problem in our society. And what we find here is Peter's reminding us these factors are so important inside of you. And don't change them, but continue to remind your kids, remind your friends, remind yourself what's important, which is Jesus Christ, the gospel, and that his truth sets us free. And then he says, look at what he says next. He said, not only be mindful of the past, but be aware. Knowing that laying aside the earthly dwelling is eminent, he says, I'm going to die as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me, I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. Peter is saying, I want to leave this legacy of these books so that even when I'm gone, you'll have these memories so that you can hold to these truths. And as I was reading this, I'm sitting here asking myself, okay, Lord, what kind of legacy, Dave, are you leaving to your family, to the people around you, the people who are your parishioners? Sandy and I took a trip up Ridge Road the other day and stopped at our lawyer, Paul Dugan's office. And basically what we did is we sat down with him and began to lay out. We had a, a will that we made 40 years ago. And at that time, we had nothing in our pockets. <laughs> the only thing we had, though, is we had children. And I had a lawyer in my congregation at the time. Uh, he said to me, Pastor Dave, it's Cliff Rotola, he said, uh, Pastor Dave, you need to make a will. I said, Cliff, <laughs> See what I have? I showed him my change in my pocket and my wallet. He says, no, you have three children and you want to know who's going to take care of those kids and who's going to bring them up in the name of the Lord. And he says, that's why you're making a will. 
He said, I understand right now, you just, you're newly married, you don't have much, but you have those children and they need the Lord. And so we went to his office before we took this trip and um, we got a will made and who was going to take care of our kids. Well, that was 40 years ago. Things have changed a lot in these last 40 years we've been married. And we went up to Paul Dugan up on Ridge Road here and, and we went and made a, a trust for our kids and for Sandy because when I die she gets it all and what a blessing that is to have things that we can leave. And that's what the goal is, is that to leave a legacy for them to have and to make their lives more easy. And I, I, I wrestled with this because as we were doing that, I'm saying, Dave, what kind of legacy have you left for your kids, for your family spiritually? You know, what have you accomplished there? How have you helped them? What do you need to help them now? And how do you be more diligent at leaving like Peter says, after his departure, that they're able to still have things? And that, you know, we understand those things. And so at that point, you know, I began to pray about, you know, how, what can I do now, God, that can add to them and add to their lives and to be able to leave them with stuff? And, you know, it, I was thinking about their own lives today. You know, we're living in a world that's so different now. Um, and, and they're living in a world that there's people who are trying to change, like, for instance, our Constitution that was written by believers, and it's changing. You know, and if you notice, we see that in our society right now. And some of the understanding that they don't understand, maybe, is what the underpinning of our Constitution was and what the people who are trying to bring in this whole new philosophy is. You see, the new philosophies and the social justice and the stuff that's going on now, it's not about equal, but it's about equity. Two very distinctly different things. And what we're finding here, that our Constitution, it read all men are created, what? Equal. That they may be endowed by what? Their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's what should be driving our country. But what is happening, there's a turn of events. And it's going from equal rights why is it that Harvard and Yale right now are being sued? Because they have too many Asian students that are made very good grades and they want other people in there that maybe don't make those grades to be able to go to Harvard and Yale also. And then the question is, is it Yale, is it equal or is that equity? See, in this underpinning, is affecting our kids and us and our world and it's changing the denominators. And what it really is, it's Marxist. 
because what it does, it is trying to take away from those who have and distribute it equally. Think about it. You guys go and, and study that because you see, that's not what it was intended for. And you had people who believed that God gave everyone the right to do and pursue. And this is what Peter is saying, he's saying. He's saying, these are God-given things that need to be remembered and not tossed out because of emotions. And Peter is calling us back to fundamentals in our own walk of life. You know, in pro sports, there, there are all kinds of machines now and, and guns and all kinds of stuff of evaluating baseball players' hitting skills. I get upset with the Yankees because sometimes they don't hit the way they should. And you know what happens? Because they forget the fundamental rule. The thing is, keep your eye on the ball and don't try to hit it out of the park. Make contact. And you see, that's a fundamental thing. And all this other stuff is great. But if you don't do the fundamentals, and it's the same thing with our faith. We need to remember the fundamentals that God created this earth that God sent Jesus Christ to die for us, that we live diligently in relationship with Christ, and we practice these things that Peter is saying, patience, love, that we, we, we do these things, that we, the fruit of the Spirit come forth. Why? Because we live in relationship with Jesus, which is the fundamental bill of health in our lives and that we do them diligently and in doing diligently godliness and righteousness come from our lives not because we force it but because the truth lives in us let's pray together Jesus I want to pray for this congregation today that as they go out into this world that you will give them an understanding and a wisdom and that they will appropriate these very precious promises that you've given us through the power of the Holy Spirit so they can live dynamic, Christ-centered lives wherever they go. And that people around them will see that and acknowledge it and they will walk faithfully for you. Bless their lives, Jesus, today. And we thank you for Peter's insights for us. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray this. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. And we'll have our closing song afterwards. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.